Do you get that message pop up? Yeah, I hit. I clicked on got it. Okay. Um, got it. I'm gonna hit my mic so many times. <laughs> okay. We are live right now, aren't we? Make sure you're unmuted on restream. Then I'm unmuted. Yeah, I guess. We yeah, I am. Yep. Okay, so we are live. Um, the podcast listeners will have to power through this. <laughs> um, sweet. Ian said we are good. Sorry, we're setting up a new streaming thing as we kind of clued at or hoped to, you know, happen last week. So the setup is a little different on our end in terms of like the little messages we can put up and whatever um, on the screen. It's a little more simple this way, which I honestly don't mind. And we're set up through Zoom now. So hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 91 of the Savage and Christ Sports podcast. Hopefully we sound nice on our new mics. You'll hear Ryan in a sec. Um, you see the look, the look is a little different. That's okay. We're here for you on a Wednesday night, 7.32 p.m., um, ready to roll i mean the celtics are on right now so we'll obviously get on get uh to what has gone down for them and what is currently going down at times as well um episode one the mark savard episode uh alfredo aceves uh digit wise and jimmy collins wore it once which i like totally forgot about um but yeah um mark savard most notable for me is actually just tweeting about the Bruins. he was actually tweeting about the Bruins last night um ironically enough but Ryan, how you doing on this fine Wednesday night? I'm doing horrible. The Celtics are down 11. The sky is falling. Everything's awful. No, I'm doing fine. Uh, like you said, decent amount to talk about. Celtics, obviously, some say steal game one, played really well. Marcus Mark gets some honors that we'll get to. Uh, Bruins are still kind of on their season-ending uh, little tour of late. And then some late Patriots news that came out today, or maybe some just NFL news. Some of it maybe pertains to the Patriots if uh, we are so lucky to have that happen, but with how they operate, probably not. But again, we'll get into it. Um, but other than that, yeah, doing good. Like I said, hopefully the Celtics can mount a little bit of a comeback here, getting off to a sluggish start, but uh, who knows? It's going to be a long game and a long series. Yeah. Uh, I was at game one of the Celtics uh, series. So that was awesome. You are the better of the two of us to have at a Celtics game. As we've learned this season, if I go, they lose. If you go, they win in dramatic, awesome, entertaining fashion. So kudos to you for picking the right game to go to. And if we need a must win game and one of us has to go, it's going to be you just letting you know now. All right. All right. That's fine. I support yep. that. Okay. Um, but uh, game one, that was awesome. I was just thinking back, got a little distracted, uh, blanked out a bit for a second. Did um, Kyrie flip you off? Were you one of those people that? I hope so. I couldn't okay. tell, but I hope so. All right. Because uh, I was being very loud and very mean to him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, whatever. He'll do. He'll get over it. He probably won't. Actually. He definitely won't. Nope. Yeah, he definitely will not. Sorry, no. I'm working on some um, social media stuff right now for the show. Um. Yeah, I mean, the, the first game was sick. I'm kind of just rambling right now as I type because my mm-hmm. brain isn't multitasking very well. Trying to multitask, yeah. I just sent out the tweet on the um podcast page. So okay, good to know. I'll check that out. Um, I'm just trying to fire up the it on my phone, too, so we can see Twitter questions because we don't know if those will come through. So let me set this stuff up. Sorry, we'll get better with this as we learn here. People it's a work in progress. Yeah, bear with us. Um, 
Yeah, so jersey numbers out of the way. Uh, the dickhead behavior segment is next. Ryan's better segues into what's going on in our first uh, topics of the night. So mm-hmm. I'll start with mine. Uh, Deadspin's just really bad article on Patrice Bergeron that came out this week because they're Deadspin and um, they suck. So it's not really inter- uh, entirely surprising. Uh, I was by Sam Fells. Never heard of him. Um, glad I hadn't. <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole article, obviously, but it was just like – it was the classic, I don't know if he's a voter, but like the term is voter fatigue or voting fatigue for like certain candidates that win awards so much. You don't want them to win every year. And last year was Mark Lazarus from the athletic talking about how Bergeron is, you know, very good. But he's not the only two way player in the league or whatever the tweet said. Now this is, I says at least know why you're voting for Patrice Bergeron for Selkie. Um, just a really dumb article. I think, like I said, based in voter fatigue for large part. So that bothers me because I think it's just a stupid thing to like get in your way. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's not a Bruins fan. I don't know much about the guy, as I mentioned. So it was just really a really dumb article to write because there are just more reasons than ever for Patrice Bergeron to win the Selkie this year. And to say that this year is just crazy for those reasons. Like he's having one of the best all around seasons since like two, the 2008 season uh, when I think it was Zetterberg and Holmstrom and these metrics that these, uh, this data I saw from J fresh hockey was measured in um, it was like Zetterberg and Franzen in the 2007, 2008 season. I think he's just tops and all these different metrics, like breaking records for certain things behind the scenes. You know, if you're into the metrics and stuff and he, um, I mean, he's playing so, so well and it's just weird timing because like he, he you know, lines up with Bergeron potential final season Um talking about all like maybe they'll just do it and give them a send-off that was part of the article i just i just think it's a lazy article i think they saw a few things that fit the narrative and ran with it Mm -hmm. and that's not the way to go because but awards discourse is stupid like all the time in pretty much every sport another one here that i forgot to put in the uh outline i just tweeted about it was something Shayna goldman from the athletic wrote recently about um these, all these advanced metrics and like defensive rating and uh, goals saved above expected, I believe, and a few others were in there. Patrice Bergeron's overall defensive rating, I don't have every single stat that factors in uh, here, but it's 26.41. The next highest in the league is Brad Marchand at 17.74. Like he's winning tons of faces. There's a gap there, yeah. Yeah, there was, uh, there's like, Read the athletic if you want to know what why Patrice Bergeron deserves Selkie a little the Selkie a little bit more. Um and he's doing it at 36. And like to, to write this attention towards the end of his career, just to not you, you know, reach out, reach out and like broaden your argument as much clearly. Um he used offensive zone star percentage for shifts is like one of the reasons. Um that's really about it. It's just like Offensive zone start percentage, face-off percentage, stats, obviously, Corsi against expected goals. But, you know, while this guy definitely worked towards, you know, putting a good case together, I don't think he did. I think there was a lot more he could have done. Mm-hmm. And it still wouldn't have made any sense. Um, I don't want that to, you know, be on people's minds. The only two players other than um, Bergeron that he um, – other yeah, other than Bergeron that he mentions are Mason Marchman on the Florida Panthers and Marcus Foligno on the Minnesota Wild. Like, you could only mention two other players to com- compare him to and maybe say are more worthy than him. 
Mm-hmm. It's just it's just lazy. I was gonna say it's, it's I'm sure there's more names you could throw in there. I feel like you just took the like maybe not maybe not the best two guys. Obviously, like I didn't even recognize the first guy's name, but like just you said, do your homework a little bit more. Like that kind of falls. The the thing about the article that I had the problem with is the just the very first line of like Patrice Bergeron is upright, averagely whatever ambulatory means, and plays more than fifty games, he's gonna win the Selkie Trophy. We've you and I have had this discussion before. I mean, I had to look it up. Cause I was curious the last time he won a Selkie was 2017. So like, that's not a, like a yeah, true statement. True. Like he's been, I feel like you and I've had the argument before at least the last couple of years. And maybe this feeds into the point he's trying to make this maybe bias that you and I have, but like, I feel like we've talked about at least the last few years that Bergeron has been robbed at times of winning the Selkie. Like we definitely had that discussion. So to say, you know, if he's going to be upright and play 50 or more than 50 games a year, he's a shoe in to win it practically is what he's saying here. Like that's not even close to true. It's just the best player at exemplifying whatever the award yeah. is. That's it. Mm-hmm. And, like, this isn't the first time we've heard about, like, voter fatigue and, you know, controversy with awards. It was just really, really dumb. And I don't know. It's just, like, just feels very lazy, rooted in, you know, potentially another fandom. and Slow day at the office at Deadspin. Which... leads the NFL or leads the NHL. And uh, face-off percentage, too, still. So, that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going back to the thing, because I have one more thing to reference um, that I had. The funny thing is he didn't mention who I would say is his most likely competitor, which is Elias Lindholm. So, that was just a note. Um, there's one other name I'm trying to like remind myself, going back to this list. Uh, Joel Erickson uh Jordan Stahl, like, is very good, but I wouldn't put him in the Calder. Or uh, the Selkie consideration. consideration. Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews has been awesome in the defensive zone and really uh, rounded out his game. I think he'd be in there. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, you mentioned Marchment. I love Mason Marchment. You, if you listen to the show way back, you know I thought the uh, Panthers should have lost him in the expansion draft, and this Kraken are kind of stupid for not taking him. He's pretty good right now. Um, and yeah, I was just like, I had to give this. Patrice Bergeron erasure disrespect some hate because it deserved it. Uh, but mm-hmm. five when you miss Patrice Bergeron, um, you know, punishable by death. Year, or maybe he'll yell "fuck you" at you, like he did <laughs> to uh, whoever it was on the Devils or something, whatever, mm-hmm. whichever game that was. Um, so sorry for a sloppy start as I was uh, working on things as we go here, people. But um, yeah, I mean, you can't, you just can't mess with Patrice Bergeron to get away with it. Or mm-hmm. one more thing, he'll come at you and skate to you before the start of a period like he did to Tom Wilson last year. Oh, yeah, with the, the, yep, the penalty awesome. box. Yeah. One of my, my favorite photos of all time, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, your dickhead behavior uh, motion here. Yeah, I took the very obvious cool. and easy one. It works for uh for transitional purposes i did see one i didn't add it to the outline i saw it very briefly on twitter before we got on here i just want to get your thoughts on and we'll, like i said we'll talk a little bit little patriots probably later on in the uh the episode but i i don't know if it's true i saw a report i don't know if you saw the same thing that Nikhil harry is skipping or isn't president optional no, yeah, um it's true okay so that i could throw up in if i wanted to do a quick uh little dickhead si- sidebar for my my main point like that in itself, like Nikhil Harry probably on the bubble now with the acquisition of Devontae Parker, maybe even more so if they're able to get um, Debo Samuel. Like I said, we'll jump on that later. But like 
buddy, it's not like you're a top tier receiver on this team. Like if, if Maybe you need to attend those, Maybe if he thinks it's going to boost his trade value, but I don't think he has any to begin with. Like, so just show up and maybe show that you're interested instead of pulling the no-show card, but whatever it's Nikhil Harry. I kind of, at this point, we expect nothing less from him because he doesn't really give you anything on the field. Why would we expect him to give you anything at practice? I guess. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to get, you know, my thoughts on that. Uh, I'll put that as a, a tier, I guess, four for a quick little put together. Um, but no, the, the big one, the, the tier five, the obvious one, Kyrie Irving's game one antics. You were there. Um, it was brutal sounding on the broadcast listening to it. Obviously, we saw what he did. Uh, was it how was it actually being in the arena? Was that the, I'm assuming it was a good time for you. You said he was uh, you said you were uh, yelling at him. How was that, you know, with thousands of fans screaming at him as well? It just it wasn't loud enough. I okay. gotta be honest. Like sounded very loud on the TV, the and obviously crowd, it got to him. The crowd, like in general, I thought it was gonna be louder all game. The one, the game I went to, game five, round one in 2018, was way louder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was up in the balcony that game. I was down in the lower this game, mm-hmm. so I don't know if that factored into anything. But um, yeah, it wasn't loud enough. Sadly, like the you know the people were into it on scoring plays and whatever, but. Mm-hmm. Um, as I watch Peyton Pritchard miss. Yeah. Tough start for them tonight. But um yeah, I I thought it was awesome. I had a ton of fun. I was screaming a lot, you know, chanting that Kyrie, but mm-hmm. um I expected it to be a little crazier. It was a good a good game though. You know, it felt like we could have used more from Jalen Brown if I have one complaint, my king, but I went mm-hmm. to see him because he's a good guy and he deserves my fandom. Um, as does this team. It was awesome, though. I mean, like, you know, I don't want to just make it sound like it was crappy. I want to reiterate that it was awesome. Mm-hmm. The they, they did win the game, so it couldn't have been too bad. I did go with our boy Matt. He had tickets. Oh, that's um, nice. That was awesome. But, yeah, I thought it could have been louder, but the game was awesome. Had tons of fun. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the buzzer beater was crazy at the end. I was watching the court the whole time. I wasn't really looking up at the clock on the Jumbotron. So mm-hmm. I didn't know the game ended at first. Um, honestly, okay. God. <laughs> I, I didn't know what the – I, like – I was so zoned in. I didn't even hear the buzzer go off mm-hmm. I was looking. And I saw like, you know, for a quick second, I didn't like react immediately when they won, when he hit it, like it took me like three or four seconds. Like, Oh shit. They won. Game's it's over. Like, yeah. It's yep. over. Cause I think the last time I looked at the clock, there was like 12 seconds left, mm-hmm. like, 10 seconds left. So a little time went by. And I got, uh, I got bamboozled a little. If that's the word for this. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, People were definitely giving it to Kyrie. I just wish it was, it was louder, and I wish the game as a whole was louder, but it was tons of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome atmosphere. I know I think the Garden would get louder at Bruins games for playoff games, but I can't wait. Hopefully I get to go to both this year. I'm willing to shell out decent money uh, to potentially see a playoff game of Tree Bertrand's potential last season, which I don't mm-hmm. think it will be, but excuse me if I'm biting my nails like an idiot. Um <laughs> If he were to retire and I never saw him play in the playoffs, I wouldn't be able to live myself, you know, entirely as well as I'd like to. So Fair enough. I'd be very upset, you know, I was being hyperbolic uh, before, but sorry, I'm biting my nails. I'm, I'm just such a little asshole. Um, inter- interrupting the uh, show. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I found... It was, it was funny. It was a funny game to be at as well. I can't, you know, I can't go without mentioning that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the closest I ever had to anything like that was probably one of 
I think it was Alex Rodriguez's last game as a Yankee or one of the last games he played at Fenway getting the chant F-U-A-Rog was close. But I mean, that probably doesn't even compare to Kyrie, obviously two very different cir- uh, circumstances. But I mean, just the whole thing, like it's just such everybody's had their opinions on, you know, there's some people that say, you know, what Kyrie did is fine. You know, if the fans are going to give it to him, then then he can give it right back to him. You know, the, the Stephen A. Smiths of the world. Like, but, but no, I mean, doesn't make him less of a douchebag. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then I think the, I completely forgot even, you know, he was asked about it before the series started and I had to go back and look at the, the quote he gave. And he said, you know, along the line, I'm not going to read the whole quote. The big line that stood out though, was like I said, he was asked, I'm assuming about the fans. And he said, you know, giving the, uh, giving the energy to what the fans are doing is not where my attention is. And then that whole game, seemed like that's exactly where your, his attention was like obviously flipping off the fans, telling the, the guy at halftime or if it was before the game, I didn't see the, the yes, my D comment. I think I it, it, it was at the end of the game when I first saw it. Though. Yeah. Cause I was, I couldn't tell, I couldn't tell if they're going back to the locker room after, you know, pregame warmups or at, I'm with you. I have to assume it was halftime. Um, but just the whole stuff afterwards, like, dude, you're a professional basketball player. Like you, what you did here, the, the shit you pulled, like you got to expect that coming in and then, to just act like a child the whole time. Like there's ways about going about it. Like I just made the most big brain, big brain play in my life, which was um, what, which was hitting the F3 button. So I have multiple screens open at once. Cause it showed you all your windows on one screen. So now I don't have to click back and forth all the time. All um, right. Unless I need to scroll up and down the outline. That's the mm-hmm. thing. Um, but yeah, he's such a douchebag. I, that was the main thing I called him. I, you know, I wasn't, saying that F you Kyrie as much. I was more so just calling him a douchebag and a crumb mm-hmm. bum and um, a bad guy with bad yep. vibes, a loser bag, a loser, mm-hmm. um, miscellaneous other things. Nothing too crazy, though. You know, I wasn't one of the fuck Kyrie guys the whole time, but, I, you know, he deserved it and we gave it to him. I just, you know, I can't go back to – I can't not go back to wishing it was louder. You know, that was the mm-hmm. one thing that st- stunk a little bit about the experience, I, but it was still pretty crazy nonetheless. Not yeah. a bad thing, but I was just expecting a little more, a little mm-hmm. bit of jam from Celtics fans. But speaking of the Celtics and, you know, everything going on right now, Marcus Smart is the Defensive Player of the Year. And um, I definitely wouldn't have said that preseason. Not going to lie to you. Like, no, I mean, I, for a very split second, uh, not going to lie, consider giving myself the dickhead of the week or, or the dickhead behavior segment um for all the crap i said obviously at the start of the year about marcus smart and making me eat my words this year with how well he's turned around uh his season and you know obviously me wanting to trade him at the start of the year now comes back and wins the play- defensive player of the year i mean well deserved there were a lot of talk about you know who should win it. i know rudy goes go bear his name came up obviously he was one of the finalists when i saw he was a finalist i'm like all right they'll, they'll continue the trend of giving it to a big man um, I saw Bam at a bio. He finished fourth in the voting. He was a little upset that he didn't get more consideration. Like it's another guy that, you know, is, should, should be right there in consideration. But the fact that Marcus Smart gets it, it becomes the first guard since Gary Payton uh, did it back in the 1995, 96 season. He's the first Celtic to do it since Garnett did it in 07, 08. Um, I think that was Garnett's MVP season as well. Uh, give credit where credit's due. We talked a lot about it when we did our Celtic stuff, you know, it was turnarounds. I think both of us, kind of pointed to, you know, Marcus Smart finally playing like the point guard that he is, you know, getting to step into that role more, be a facilitator, get to play, you know, the role that he played when he first came up here and where, where first was, you know, drafted, brought onto the team, like turned the season around. And obviously it's good to see him get uh, some consideration. Good to see uh, Robert Williams get some consideration as well. He finished 
uh, with eight total points in the voting, got a first place vote, got a second place vote. I think he probably would have been higher up if obviously his season wasn't derailed by that injury. Um, surprising to see Al Horford get some consideration. He got a second place vote uh, to finish with, you know, three voting points. So good all around to see the Celtics um, as a good, obviously defensive team as they were the best defensive team in the NBA in the, the uh, regular season, three guys on that list, not a surprise there. And obviously then, he got named it after game one, but you saw on display what Marcus Smart was able to do just particularly against Kyrie Irving as we kind of jump into our game one thoughts. I mean, yeah. One, one thing I had to say real quick though, mm -hmm. I think the interesting thing, if, if Williams was healthy to watch with his case, mm -hmm. been the fact that like, you know, we, we knew what the commodity we was, what we had was, was smart, but we didn't see Williams reach the level he reached this year. Mm -hmm until a certain portion of the season. And that's when things I felt really changed. Really turned. Yeah. Yep. So that would have been a big thing, a big feather in the cap of um, Robert Williams in his case. But, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately for him, you know, thinking of him now for game four, game five, maybe, I don't know if I'm, am I mixing that up with the Wayne, um, not Wayne Simmons, um, Ben Simmons. Now? Ben Simmons. Now I know there's talks of potentially Simmons, which is, it's, it's kind of funny that, as soon as the series shifts to Brooklyn, that's when Ben Simmons might be able to make his return. Um, so they're talking games. That, that was reported like a week or two ago, though. So. That's true. Yeah, you know that's, that's true that's too. Right. So that, that's a fair point. But I just as big as a as bitch as Ben Simmons is, like it's not surprising that the guy would want an easier atmosphere and an easier place to jump into play um, for his first games of the year. But I don't know. I mean, Roblins is interesting. I mean, if they if they played as well as they do uh, did in game one, obviously they're coming back now, but like we talked about this before, if they, if they don't seem like they need Rob Williams in this series, then I wouldn't push bringing him back. I mean, maybe if it, if it goes later in the series, game six, game seven, if you get there and you need him and he can play, then maybe he can give you something. But I mean, I, I would take it day to day with him. We've seen, we talked about it too. Like Alonzo ball was a good example of a guy that, you know, was expected to come back this season and then just kept having setback and setback with a similar injury. And now he's done for the year. So like, you obviously don't want to have that happen to Rob Williams. So if he can't go, then it's fine. Like if you can beat Brooklyn, which we both think they can without him, like it's, I'm fine. If you don't see him in the series, unless you desperately need him. I'm curious if just on him really quick too, with the voting, if he stayed healthy and obviously, like you said, was on the same trajectory that smart was on, like, I can't imagine they would have had two Celtics out of the three finalists. So I'm, I was curious to see, you know, if they both played out the rest of the season, who would have gotten that edge more to you? Like you said, when Williams, you know, took his step, that kind of turned the Celtics around, maybe they would have given him more consideration or would they have just stayed with smart as, you know, their top choice for the, the, the voting. So that would have been interesting to see um, which direction they would have went in. Yeah. I think they would have stayed with smart. Probably. Yep. Just a more well-known name. Rob Williams kind of, obviously is more up and coming than smart has been, you, you know, more people know Marcus smart, what he's about. So, but again, would have been interesting. Uh, like I said, though, obviously game one, a lot happens uh, just on that Marcus smart note, really quick, what he was able to do against Kyrie Irving. Um, they haven't had him on Irving a ton tonight. I've noticed just kind of glancing up at the game, which has been interesting because he worked pretty damn well against Kyrie in game one, obviously uh, Irving almost single-handedly beat the Celtics, which is the one, you know, consideration, the one uh, bump I'll give him in that game is he took that fourth quarter over and almost, you know, beat the Celtics by himself uh, with Kevin Durant struggling. But Marcus Smart on him, he was typical Marcus Smart, only five points allowed when, you know, he was the closest defender on Kyrie Irving. Irving shot one of three from the field, one of two from deep, um, was two or two on free throws and had one assist. Everyone else that had a chance of guarding Kyrie, he dropped 34 on him. So just typical Marcus Smart stuff, you know, shutting down the best player on the floor. Um he and Al Horford will get into, you know, that final play 
Um, your thoughts on that? Like I said, obviously being there, you were locked in, as you mentioned, not even knowing that the game was, you know, a buzzer beater when it happened, but Smart and Al Horford, you know, picked a great time to double them. They were fantastic on that, completely suffocating Kyrie. I think we didn't even talk about that. That was the point I wanted to bring up about the, um, you know, the fan fans getting on him. And, you know, it, it seemed like Kyrie wanted to, you know, shut everybody up. He almost did in that fourth quarter. Uh, I think it was Ted Johnson had this point, you know, he seemed to think that, you know, that helped or that hurt Kyrie late in the game rather that, you know, he wanted to, you know, take that final shot. Shit. He dribbled, what was it? 22 seconds off the shot clock, 21 seconds off the shot clock before they finally dumped it off to Kevin Durant for that, you know, last second trying to not, I don't want to call it a heave because that takes away from Kevin Durant, but you know, that last second prayer that he threw up there. So I think that is where, you know, Kyrie was affected too by the fans is like, he wanted to be the guy that, you know, shut everybody up and, you know, won the game for Brooklyn. Um, and obviously, like I said, Al and, and Marcus Smart doubling him, Tatum shutting down Durant on that last play. And then obviously what happened on the other side, we'll get into in a second. But I don't, didn't know if you had any overarching thoughts on, like I said, obviously being there firsthand, that last player, just, you know, how they played in the fourth quarter as a whole. First thought, um, I didn't tweet out that picture today. of. Kyrie oh, no, the one, the, the one of uh, Tatum celebrating with, yeah, with Kyrie sulking. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, I gotta be better. Mm-hmm. Copy the image though. We're just copying it from old tweet. Pasting it. There we go. Yeah. Got um, it. Didn't work the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, they. I was like, I was so mesmerized that like, it's weird that I can't remember more about the game because mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Something's just not clicking. Like I don't remember like this, the flows of the game. I remember them, you know, starting the third quarter hot. Mm-hmm. They kept the pace pretty well in the first half. In the fourth quarter, I was just locked in. I wasn't, you know, I was in some like different zone, mm-hmm. and obviously very excited. So, but yeah, the the winner was just was just perfect. They made a really tough looking play work, and the pace mm-hmm. went bonkers. Um, yeah, I I didn't even notice until I just started watching, um, you know, the, watching the game. Oh, a few minutes ago, like 10, 15 minutes ago, um, the difference in defense, which is interesting, you know, mm-hmm. how smart play, like you said, but in the, in the uh, first you know, game, one of the series, but yeah, it was, it was uh, pretty wild. Sorry. I'm getting distracted by text now. It's okay. Um, I got so many screens going. I got so many <laughs> more screens than you. It is tough. Yeah. I'm looking in multiple areas, directions. But no, the thing I was going to say about that last play too is one of the, I mean, we, we discussed it, you know, the, the, the two teams when we did our preview for this, but like, I think that last play kind of shows what you and I both think about, you know, both these teams is the Celtics. They have that last play where pretty much everybody on the floor, except for, I think it was De- uh, Derek White that was out there at the end of the game. He was the only guy, I think, not to touch the ball in that. Obviously Horford got the rebound, got it to Brown who, and then again, this is just shows the growth of the Celtics team, which everyone's been talking about this week leading up to game two is, you know, how many times would you have seen old Jalen Brown try to make that layup over two guys, as much as we love Jalen Brown, you know, he's fallen into that trap before trying to, you know, take it himself when he should dish it. Then you have Marcus smart. Everyone's talked about him, you know, the pump fake on the three, that's a ball he usually pulls. And even the, when he got the up fake and got around both his defenders could have taken it too. I think Ime Odoka talked about it, that he said, you know, props to Marcus smart because he passed up a good shot. Um, it would have been a, a, a jumper to maybe win the game to find Tatum and obviously Tatum just smart on him not standing around at the three-point line to be able to cut like that to me showed the growth of this team obviously wanting to move the ball around and then like I said on the flip side of it we have Brooklyn who is 
mainly a, a two-guy team, obviously with Durant and Irving. You know, that's kind of how they're going to play that game with those two superstars. But you saw that, like I said, their last possession, Kyrie comes down, dribbles out 20 seconds of the shot clock off because he wants to be the guy that you know wins it for Brooklyn in the end. And then Durant has to throw up a prayer that, again, kudos to Tatum. I went back and watched that play a couple times, and it wasn't an offensive foul, but Durant tried to obviously get himself some space with a little bit of an arm that Tatum just took right in the chops and stayed with and played great defense on him. So like I said, props to Tatum there, but I just thought that was telling, you know, that's why you and I feel like both think the Celtics going to pull this series out because they play that, you know, style of team basketball. Obviously tonight, Brooklyn's kind of moved the ball a little, uh, it seems like has moved it around a lot better and are playing with a better pace than they did in game one. The Celtics are kind of falling into a, a slower trap pace. Like we, that I was going to touch on in a second, but just that last play, like I said, kind of shows you what this Celtics season has become that at the start of the year, you probably would have saw smart pull that three or Brown try to take that layup. And then, you know, they end up maybe losing that game by a point instead of winning like they did just to, you know, the growth they have had this season was fully on display, which is good to see. Sorry. I keep, I keep getting distracted by the game and texts. Um, just, I know I'm trying to keep disregard my opinion. I, I, I kind of just be repeating myself. Okay. What I said before, mm-hmm. but I will say it did become like, more clear that the you know what we had talked about the Celtics being a better team game mm-hmm. team oriented team was definitely more noticeable um in person for some reason than it was on TV but mm-hmm. I guess it makes sense but you know it could just be me imagining or thinking of it no I've definitely. had that feeling before it's obviously different going to the game being there live than obviously watching it on TV but like you said the, the, the team mentality that was kind of a big takeaway obviously look at the just from looking at the box score and again, why I think you know, the Celtics are probably better off to, to win this series. You had four to five starters for the Celtics finish with 20-plus points, which is good to see. I mean, is that going to happen again in this series? Probably not. You're probably going to have a game where Tatum or, or Brown is going to have to take over and score the majority of your points. But it was obviously nice in game one to see that, that you had Tatum go for, what was it, 31, I think it was. Brown finished with 23, Smart finished with 20, and Al Horford playoff Al show. Twenty-three points, the Celtics still get a win. Like that was obviously good to see. You'd like a little more uh, from the bench, and you're gonna have to see that tonight with some guys struggling out of the gate. That we'll get into in a second. But that was, I thought, good to see total team effort in game one. I thought just coming from some notes I had from the game, we we may have briefly touched on. I can't remember if we did or not. The Bruce Brown comments talking about uh, Rob Williams not being there. The Celtics were gonna be easier to attack. They were gonna attack guys like Horford and um, and Tyson the paint. That wasn't the case. I feel like the Celtics maybe heard those comments, you know, used that as some fuel to the fire. Celtics outscored Brooklyn in points in the paint, 56 to 32 in the game. Bruce Brown, who had those comments, finished with five whole points. Obviously, I think he's got 12 tonight. Or had 12 of Brooklyn's first 16 points or something ridiculous. So he's turned up his performance. I get I get thrown off when I hear that name because Bruce Brown is the name of a coach. Like, that's, that doesn't okay. sound like a player. No, it's not a play. Yeah. Isn't Bruce Brown such a coach name? It is. Like, that's That's – the first thing I think of whenever I see him. Yeah. Um, Sounds like, like an old white guy that like has been on. Yeah. <laughs> been a coach for forever. I didn't realize they were doing the, uh, the pregame player introductions. I couldn't think of the word and I didn't realize he was from Massachusetts. So it's a, a guy with some close ties, they said, but um, um, dude, he is like a family guy, dad, like that's first, the yeah. of a family guy character or, a, or a, um, a South Park character, like a little bit, yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's a 
douchebag. Kyrie Irving's a douchebag. Um, Kevin Durant is just as lanky as he looks in real life on per- in person. I could probably mm-hmm. kick his ass. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know if I go that far. Yeah. I don't well. Know. Um. Yeah. Can you imagine? I thought I don't know if we've talked about this on the show or I talked about this with someone else. How mm-hmm. like if if Kevin Durant never played in the NBA, do you think he'd have like three hundred thousand tweets? Probably. Oh, probably, absolutely. The guy lives on social media and lives on Twitter. Like, yeah, he's a douchebag. Mm. Uh, he's a big twiggy alien. Um, you so have lanky. you have used that to describe before. I have. Yep, I've heard yeah. that one. But Skellington. Skellington mm. Bubbles. Um, that's a, I'm referring to Trailer Park Boys for any fans. I mm-hmm. love this new setup. Um, I love not hearing static when you talk as well. That's good to know that because, like I said, I could never hear that on I my end. I thought so. about it for a while and now I just thought about it. But don't God. jinx it. Go find some wood to knock on. Oh, dude, it, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone right. forever. Let's uh, hope. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. But, but yeah, that was only, just only myself. If, All right. Fair uh, enough. If otherwise. Okay. But yeah, just like that was nice to see. Obviously, like I said, I feel like that had to have been back in the back of the Celtics' minds that like kind of take a shot at Al Horford. I mean, Daniel Tice, like Daniel Tice was wasn't really anything special in this game, but obviously having Horford step up and go for twenty and fifteen was nice to see. Grant Williams didn't have a great night offensively, but there were times, you know, trying to watch that game on Easter with you know family being here that I looked up and a couple of times he had locked down Durant. So good, you know, kudos to him for that. You're gonna need more of that throughout the series. Um, like I mentioned, Durant had probably one of the worst nights of his career offensively, but he's going to bounce back from that. So that's kind of something to look forward to. If you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, you got to hope, you know, the Southers can figure out, but I don't know if you had any over or just final thoughts on, you know, game one stuff. I know we kind of quickly ran through that, but just, you know, I wanted to get some, some thoughts and maybe some things to look out for as we move ahead, obviously with the game fully in, uh, in going on here and then just moving forward for the rest of the series. Yeah. Outside of the obvious ending, Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Al Horford contributed at times some important shots, a couple three-pointers. I saw Dale Tyson three-pointer, which I never thought I'd say. Yeah, it's um, a rarity when he hits one of those. It's like, Yeah, but it was good, just overarching thoughts. I, it was good to see them keep pace with them. You know, it's the first game, you're know, dusting off cobwebs a little bit, both mm-hmm. Um I thought the Celtics were playing a little bit uh, selfish basketball as I'm, like, regaining my memory of thoughts of the game that I had on the day. It's all of. coming back now, um, yeah. Yeah, I felt like they were kind of – being a little too fancy early on, kind mm-hmm. of letting things marinate before they, you know, played the smart basketball we know they're capable of. Um, sorry, a little message popped up on the restream screen. Had to get rid of because mm-hmm. it was distracting me, evidently. Um, yeah, I thought it was a good stepping stone for the Celtics. Um, you know, if they have Jalen Brown more consistent in the future, that's just going to make things even easier, hopefully. If Marcus Markets on the board here a little bit, he's only got two or just one point this game on that one free throw. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see some depth scoring from him if the Celtics are to you know win this game. But um, yeah, the game was fun. Thanks to Matt again. He'll be listening to this probably tomorrow um, for the tickets. I mean, he's been trying to get me to go for years, and like every game I can't go for some reason. Um, so it was nice. It was nice to go to a Celtics game Matt never had before. So tons of fun. Um, do we have anything else to touch on with that before we get the Bruins? Just some some closing, like I said, thoughts on you know what I could could see being the case, or just you know some some stuff the Celtics need to do to obviously get out of this ten point hole at the ring, and then just moving forward with the series. Some thoughts from Game One. 
Um, their pressure, I thought, was good the first three quarters. Like you said, the ending was kind of iffy that fourth quarter. Like I said, Kyrie almost single-handedly beating you was not fun to watch. Good that obviously they were able to get the buzzer beater. But, I mean, a lot of positives from game one. The, the, the big negative was they blew a 15-point lead and, like I said, almost lost that game. Um, but it was kind of clear and obvious why that happened. And it's clear and obvious why they're down 10. They're shooting horrible tonight. They're not, like you said, smart has one point. Jason Tatum has two points, but he's all of six from the field. So those two points are from free throws. So you got to get more there, but just keep the pace up. There were times in game one, like I said, it's happened a couple of times tonight where they've slowed it down. And that I think plays more into Brooklyn's game than it does the Celtics game. Like you said, there were times where you saw it that the Celtics maybe were a little selfish in game one. Like if they're moving the ball around, we've talked about this before. They're a better team when they're out and running, moving the ball, being quick. You know, everyone's helping out defensively. Um, so just keep that up. Uh, get more from the bench, obviously, is something I thought of, too. Uh, and it was obvious. Again, Brooklyn's bench outscored the Celtics 30-17 to 17 in game one. Goran Dragic and Nick Claxton led the way pretty much. Celtics only played three guys, Derek White, Grant Williams, and Peyton Pritchard. But, again, 17 points out of your bench. Not great. And then when you have a night, like I said, tonight where Tatum has two points, Smart has, I think he's up to six now, it says Brown's got three Scoring's got to come from somebody. Grant Williams has gotten 11 so far, so that's good to see. Again, you're going to have to get production out of some of those guys. And then if, like I said, Durant's not going to have a night like he had in game one. He's going to score. Kyrie's going to put his numbers up. So you've got to continue the scoring, get you know more guys involved, and then just keep up the physicality. It seemed like they were at times letting him play in game one. Uh, I didn't realize the fouls were as close as they were. Brooklyn finished with 2016 fouls. The Celtics finished with 24 um, a lot of guys were deep into not foul trouble, but I was surprised by how many like star, uh, star players had, you know, three, four five fouls for some guys. Um, but Brooklyn, it seems like their team throughout the season. I mean, they were banging around Kevin Durant in game one Tatum, Grant Williams, like I said, Horford at times that seemed to get to him. And obviously with the shooting night that he had, it, it seemed to. So if they can keep that up, stay out of foul trouble, then I think that's a key that's going to help the Celtics win this series too. be physical, but don't be obviously stupid and, you know, take fouls where you shouldn't and, get into foul trouble and hurt yourself. Derek White's got three fouls, I think, in the first quarter. So that's – That was a terrible turnover. Yeah. Um, That's what I mean. Just be smart with the ball, too. Like, it's simple stuff, but – And win both games at home, make it easy for yourself. Yeah, well, that's kind of the question people were – I was listening to Felber Maz, and they were talking about, you know, there were some calls that say, you know, is it a must-win game for Brooklyn? Is it a must-win game for the Celtics to try to go up 2-0 to Brooklyn? Or does the Nets not want to go down – Oh, two heading back home. Like I wouldn't say it's a must win for anybody right now. You'd like, if you're a Celtics fan, obviously like we are to go up to nothing heading into Brooklyn. Um, but if, you know, Brooklyn goes down Oh two, they're heading home. They have a chance to get two games at home and tie the series right back up. So I feel like, you know, it's not a, it's not a game really where there's any pressure on anybody. And maybe if the Celtics lose this game and Brooklyn now heads home for two, they could go up three, one, if things get really out of hand. So maybe there's a little pressure on the Celtics, but it's too early in the series, at least for me. I don't know if you feel differently, if you've, feel like this is a must-win game for one of these two teams going forward? Or are you in the same mindset that I am? Like, this is – it's game two of the series. There's potentially five more to play after tonight. Like, there's, there's no really pressure on anybody. Yeah, same mindset as you, but okay. obviously I'm going to point out the obvious. It's just massive if they win at home. Um, both times. Um, on to Bruins, speaking of someone in their home, uh, Mark McLaughlin loves scoring goals in the Garden. does. Segue, it's been a nice fit so far. To segue us quickly into game recaps, the game on my papa's birthday. Uh, happy birthday, papa. Happy birthday. Versus Ottawa. On four not four a four. great game, though. Not, not a great, great, not a great birthday present. 
got a win on Papa's birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, unacceptable that you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was an interesting, interesting game for a couple of potential future peaches, pieces of the Bruins, not peaches. Uh, yes, for Froden tipped Mac Rizlick's 19th assist of the year. Um, back into the back of the net. Great tip uh, for Froden, but it went pretty bad after that. Um, Brady Kachuk, Josh North, Tim Stutzla, the usual suspects scoring for the Senators when the pesky Sens come to town. Um, you know, the one that stuck out to me was the penalties that led to Josh Norris's five-on-three goal. You know, pretty much any team can score on a five-on-three. It's just so much extra space. That really makes things take a turn for the worse. They scored two, two quick goals, and that was all she wrote when all was said and done. Um, tough blown lead. You know, you know, we don't see the Bruins really do that a lot this season, mm-hmm. so that's good. Um, and they had their first three-game losing streak of the season. Not great. The first, I mean, it's good that this is only the first. Um, this is the longest, it was the longest losing streak since, like, December 4th, 2019, too. So, um, lengthy losing streaks are not very common for the Bruins. Mm-hmm. Um, but they made things right. Uh, just a couple stats, actually, from last game. Uh, 21 saves and 24 shots for Swayman. Uh, Omar came in and made eight on eight. It continues to be a bit of a rocky road at times for Jeremy Swayman, but we'll talk a little, little bit about him as we go along. Mm-hmm. Um, on to p- the game against Pittsburgh. Also at home, a 2-1 to one win, 46-24-5 on the season after that. Um, Trent Frederick gets put in the lineup after the healthy scratch and responds quite a uh, very nice to see. Um, <laughs> Eric Howla scores, what is it, uh, 112 later. And that was all the score the Bruins did, and it's all they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of rare you see something like this. But it worked. But yep. the one guy on the other side who scored was, of course, Dan Heinen. Guy um, loves his revenge games. I miss my boy Heinen. Um, he was a good lad. He was a good three-zone player. Um but yeah, he has the revenge game. So, you know, the Boston slash New England sports teams, for some reason, are always like prone to revenge games. I Seems think. like it of late. Yeah. It's very strange. But um, on to St. Louis in St. Louis, um, the second time they played each other in a week. Bruins win three and two in OT. This was last night, 47 24 and five on the season. Shush. Um, <laughs> third in a row for Jeremy Swayman. Um, he makes 27 and 22 shots, you know, low shot counts, but he's, you know, struggling at times. I like to see him make more saves on low shot counts. We have, you know, 22 in the Blues game, 24 in the Ottawa game, and 24 in the um, the Penguins game. So, you know, I'd like to see a little bit better from Jeremy Swayman um, with low shot quantity. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's just my piece. Pavel Bushnevich gets the goal scoring start started in this one from Tarasenko and Cairo. Blues death scoring and um, you know death in general, honestly, has been just really good this season. It's been a really you know big reason to why they where they where they are at. Uh, Jake DeBrusque gets his own rebound, sends the puck over the shoulder of Billy Huso. The Blues are cowards and don't want to play Jordan Bennington against the Bruins. Mm-hmm. Um, Seems like it, yeah. It would have been seven to two in a not overtime 
Taylor Hall, a guy that you know you might ex- might have expected to score a little bit more this year, been more of a primary passer for this team. I'm an assist man. Barry is just a beautiful tip. You know, tell a goal scorer's goal. You know, puts it in the right spot on a tip. You know, one of the harder things to do on offense. Robert Thomas though plays spoiler. Two point four seconds left in the period. Um, the Bruins have a serious, serious problem with letting goals up in the final minute of periods. Like it feels like more, like eight games out of ten, they'll you know get a they'll get pants in the final minute. This has been plugging them for a while, though, I feel like. Sorry to cut you off, but, like, yeah, this is a a common theme with them. Year to year, it seems like. I don't know if I've noticed it as much year to year, but it's, like, it's too common of a theme this year. You know, the first goal was just brutal. I didn't even mention that. Mm -hmm. Um, They just got absolutely schooled way too early on in the game to be getting schooled like that. Um, Robert Thomas scores. I mean, he's having a crazy season. I had a friend text me like, oh, Robert Thomas has 73 points yesterday. And, uh, yeah, he does. Um, On the Bruins side of things, it's just the main thing that sticks out to me, not even the awesome overtime winner from Charlie McAvoy. McAvoy, DeBrusque, and Coyle are just randomly an awesome um, overtime line. So Mm -hmm. that's a thing. Yep, Um, that works. Mike Riley. Mike Riley is grinding my gears lately. Um. (laughs) He's kind of just there, I feel like. He's borderline useless at this he's point in the season. He's box. Oh, that too, yeah. You mean there. Yep. Um, six straight games of the penalty. Four of those penalties are high-sticking. That's bad. I didn't really lose that bad. the fringe of the lineup, just give me Jack Ashan and give me Jack Ashan in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really sick of Mike Riley right now. And it's not even just that. He has become more and more clueless with time without the puck on his stick. Mm-hmm. Like, he, his hockey awareness without the puck is just not good at all. He His defensive game has gotten worse. The season's gone along. I felt like he's a guy that, you know, not thinking towards the offseason yet, but he had comments said that he was not a huge fan of the time he was benched. A guy I think is going to be a trade candidate in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, you have defensemen in like Jack Ashaw in particular that are ready. And you got to give him a shot. You know, you got to make room for Connor Clifton, maybe, if you want to keep him in the mix. It's a tough one, too. But, like, Mike Riley would have some decent trade value, and it would clear things up a little bit. That's true. The eventual eventual signing, an eventual spot for Mason Lowry you're going to need um, this time next year when they sign him out of Ohio State, because I think he'll probably be good enough to step in right away if he can build his defensive game, because he's known more for um, his offensive defense abilities versus being a two-way guy. Maybe he'll build into that two-way guy, but it's not quite there yet, watching him over the past um, year or so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bouncing off the opinion I heard um, about him, as I asked Chris Peters, shout out to Chris Peters on Talking Hockey Sense, talking hockey sense um, for answering my question, He kind of he's kind of in the same boat that Low Rye is going to be a good player someday, but, you know, needs to work on his defense. So um, as I go on that tangent, Let's head on to the week ahead. Okay. Pittsburgh, tomorrow night. Just played them recently. Um, 43-32-11 now. They're in the Metro. Sidney Crosby has 80 points in 64 games to lead them in scoring. Uh, Tristan Jari is week-to-week and not looking too good. He had to be taken out 
Yeah, they couldn't. He wasn't walking. They took him out in some sort of cart. It wasn't a wheelchair, though. I don't know what it was called. I forget. Okay. Uh, he's week to week. So, Casey DeSmith and Louis Deming are holding down the crease. Uh, Swayman will start against them. David Poshnok, Hampus Lindholm, and Linus Olmark all skated today, but will not play, it um, looks like right now. And an interesting thing I actually heard recently about Pittsburgh is that I think it was like 24 games for each team. Over, so, like 48 total, or for each situation, rather, not a team. There were like eight and six teams against winning teams in the last 24 games against winning teams. Um, That's pretty bad. Yeah, so I just I never really picked up on that, but you know some people do in this world. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people. Um, next up, keeping with the Metro, they got the Rangers. Feels like we haven't played the Rangers in a long time. Yeah. Um, Artemi Panarin leads them in scoring. I saw someone tweet, and I totally agree. Um, it was actually Geek Daddy on Twitter at Danny All Star. 15th. Artemi Panarin's having the quietest 90 point season like ever. Um, it's pretty weird because he's on a team with a big apple, mm-hmm. but he got a quiet 22 goals and 70 assists, 92 points in 72 games. Igor Shosturkin's putting together one of the greatest goaltending seasons still of our lifetime. He stumbled for about a week, but he's now at 36, 11, and 4 with 2.01 goals against. Seeing someone at this point of the season over. Um, or just about under two is ridiculous and so rare. Um, 936 save percentage, six shutouts. Then you got Alexander Georgiev, 1392 with a 2.91, 898, and two shutouts. Yeah, Shesterkin is going completely bonkers this year. Um, Seems like Vesna and then some. He has to be. He's still my pick for the hard trophy, too. Um, I think he should clean up, and I don't think he will, but I think he should. I think there's no player more valuable to their team than him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's kind of t- ties into a debate we recently had. It wasn't really much of a debate, but more of a discussion. Should it be the most outstanding player or should it be the most valuable player um, that can go for any sport? Um, they got a back-to-back after that. They go from New York to Montreal to play the Canadians, 20-46-11 and 11 on the season for the Canadians. Um, eighth in the division. Carey Price is back. He's 2-0 with a 2.02 and a 9.18 looking pretty good with those numbers. Um, we might see him for the first time in a while. Um, Jake Allen, not great. Sam Montebo, not great. I'm not going to read all the stats because we've done that so much lately um, with the <laughs> Canadians. Um, but yeah, the really only noteworthy thing is Cole Caulfield and um, you know being Cole Caulfield and Carey Price being back. So good for him for about it. Yeah. He needed. And mm-hmm. um, maybe we'll see him against the Bruins for the first time in a long time. Uh, one of the best goalies in the world. Uh, one of the best goalies all time when, of all time when he's on his game. Um, here from a tour of the little tour of the Metro to a tour of the um, Atlantic where the Bruins welcome the Florida Panthers and leading scorer in the NHL, Jonathan Huberto. Would have never um, guessed that. Good player, all but time, like all-time NHL record for assists by a long shot now uh, for a left winger. Playing out of his mind, not a very good defensive player, you know. But when you score eleven points, like hundred eleven points in seventy-six games, that kind of makes up for it. They're a wagon to me. Some people were kind of waning, or you know, never really had much faith in the Florida Panthers. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> 
but they're kind of one of those teams due to their lack of deep run playoff experience. People team like, oh, they're not legitimate. To me, right now, I'm still teetering on them being my cup favorite in the Eastern Conference or not. Okay. Um, I feel like it's who do you have as competition to them? Because I feel like right now, like I feel like I would probably Tampa Bay because okay. of the reputation. Um, okay. I think a lot of teams could beat Tampa Bay this year, though. I have a hard time saying for certain they're going to be back, but they honestly could be. Tampa seems as vulnerable as they've been in a while. I feel yeah. like, like exactly. That's my um, yeah. Yeah, the lack of Tampa being the top tier Tampa we're used to, unless you know things change if the postseason is a whole new season thing lives up to the hype for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you know Florida could beat Carolina. They could beat the Rangers. They could score enough. You know, that's really just any team they could score enough on the Rangers because it's just Durkin. Um yeah, the, the Panthers, the two things that stick out to me, I've watched a lot of Panthers games this year, is they get on teams early. Like, I feel like multiple occasions I've seen them score four goals in, like, the first ten minutes of the game. And they're the best comeback team in the league. Um, come from behind, they have, like, 19 comeback from behind wins I saw, like, a week ago on some graphic on TV. Um, they're just dangerous. They're dangerous. They're deep. They're the deepest they've ever been. They got Claude Giroux at the deadline. They got Ben Sherrod who sucked on Montreal, but he's honestly been pretty solid for them so far for the most part. Mm-hmm. And then when the playoffs start, they'll have Aaron Eckblad back, who's, I'd say, if he played the full season, he'd probably be like a top seven defenseman in the league. Um, he's phenomenal. He's gotten so good, but, you know, he is a first overall pick, so he's finally been delivering on that, especially the past few years. Um, teetering on picking them to win the Stanley Cup, um, much like I'm teetering on the Calgary Flames to win the Stanley Cup or at least go there from the West a um, little bit kind of in the same boat though, just in different conferences, like they're the same teams and they, in certain ways. Um, anything that stands out to you about the week ahead? That's no, but the, the one thing I wanted to ask you is I, I obviously haven't been able to catch a lot of the games because of work. I didn't realize that Swayman has played three in a row. Do you have any, like that? I don't know if that, like that, that's something that kind of stands out to me is I don't know if I, I, are they gearing him up maybe for a playoff is one way I think about it. Like, do you, because Martin, we've had this Martin discussion. Oh, I forget. Yeah, that's right. I forgot he was okay. So never mind that. That about sums that up. Cause I was going to ask you is when I mean, we've had a discussion before of what direction they should go with goaltending when it comes to the playoffs is I didn't know if with swim and starting three games, if they're trying to gear him up maybe or, but the, yeah, the old Mark injury completely slipped my, uh, slipped my mind. So never mind. I'll scratch that question from the, uh, the record. Yeah. I don't really know why they're like, I mean, they're battling for points, but like, you know, give Troy Grosnick a little time. He's been like, yeah. the, the Grosnick's been like the best goal in the AHL this year. I think uh, one of the best. Last time I checked the stats, at least. Okay. Um, yeah, but we're going to get swimming against the Penguins. Um, he's worrying me. He's worrying me. Um, he's been shaky. Yeah. I mean, it's been a, what, a good almost month now, I feel like, right? That we've had this kind of, inconsistency in this i mean we talked about it before i don't know if i said the sky was falling or asked you that question but like you weren't as concerned as before now you've kind of flipped the script on that a little bit yeah i think it's workload i think okay Um, what's he up to in games right now do you know off the top of your head if you had to guess no i think um he's just not used to this workload okay waiting on him and he's just he's just not as sharp because of that Mm -hmm. um as i check his usage so far uh, 38 games played, so I was okay. going to say 40. 
but um, yeah, that would have, would have been my guess. I mean, this is a concern you've had that we've talked about this before that you, the exact reason why you thought Omar should get some, some games in the playoffs. If they decided to go with Swayman as the, the starter for game one. Yeah. And the thing with Omar, cause he was playing so good before his injury. Mm-hmm. Um, he took a shot to the mask. He doesn't have playoff experience. Like this is a big workload for him. So mm-hmm. right now it just, goes back to what I said about two weeks ago and you agreed with me was ride the hot hand. So at this point, if Omar's healthy enough at that point, start him game one. Yep. Unless Swayman really turns things up. But you know, Swayman's in a weird spot, but it was bound to happen. You know, it's not I think I mentioned this last week too. The Carter Hart situation. It's not going to be no yep you did yep. in that camp. Um but yeah I'm a little worried about Swayman. He's just not himself. Um I'm not going to act like the goalie doctor. He's just not himself. Um, just a rookie funk right now, you'd say, I feel like. Yeah. That's not, maybe, really, not maybe as drastic as a rookie wall, but because he's still, like, putting up, obviously, decent games here and there. But, like, there's it's it's noticeable that there's been a little bit of a struggle of late. And maybe that's the thing, too. I'm curious is if, if Omar gets back healthy sooner rather than later, maybe they still will ride Swayman a little bit more just to see if he can get himself out of it. Or is maybe they, once Omar comes back, like you said, they just kind of go with him and, jump into the playoffs that way yeah i don't know it's it's awkward it, you know we're kind of hoping for a while that it was just going to be swimming riding it but mm-hmm. now it's getting a little awkward um but yeah i'd go omar game one um last week we forgot to mention some news points that i just forgot to put in so that's on me um oscar steen signed a two-year extension worth 800k per um which will, you know, start next season. doesn't affect the salary this year, of course. Um, it's a one-way deal. Last, you know, Bruin we saw have a one-way deal signed all of a sudden um, and have a workout with him was Jakob Zaboral before he got hurt. They signed him to a one-way because um, they expected him to make the roster. So that could be good news for Steen. You know, he could be on the opening roster and potentially with the Bruins full-time next season. So um, he's a guy that's absolutely earned it. So I'd be totally cool with that and, Curtis Lazar being a UFA likely um, that they will move on from. Sorry, any Curtis Lazar fans. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, there's a spot right there on the right wing for him. So um, he gets a well-earned extension. Surprised he hasn't been the call-up instead of Frodian lately, but, I mean, they signed Frodian internationally, so they want to give him some games, see if they want to keep him around. He's UFA as well. Um, another thing is Johnny Beecher. He's on ATL this year um, in Providence following, you know, Michigan being eliminated in the Frozen Four. Um, he's been awesome in his two games he's played for the Providence Bruins. Um, he's like at, at three or four points. I think he might have a point in his debut, but I'm not sure. But he had three points, including the game winner against Lehigh Valley last night. Looks really good. If you watch clips of him in the past or present, um, pretty interesting what that kid could do with in terms of his speed for a kid that's 6'3", 210. He has very, very quick um, first step speed um, for a big guy. So that's exciting. Um, if Nick Felina weren't in the mix, I'd say uh, if I was running the show, pencil and bring him uh, right feature, up. Feature Nosek and McLaughlin on the fourth line. Because I think Trent, um, Trent Frederick is a guy that, you know, John Beecher can be similar to, but he has more, a little more skill and speed. So if anybody, you know, needs a little scouting report. You got it from me. That's what I see. But, you know, if he 
hones in the physical game well enough and effectively enough, I could see him being like a like a quicker Milan Lucic, honestly. Like I, you're, people are probably thinking to themselves right now, oh, you're just saying Bruins. Like, that's <laughs> not super... First guy that comes to your head. Yeah. But, no, I'm being dead serious. Like, um, I'm excited about John Beecher. Some people kind of soured on him at times, I think, because of injury troubles and um, slumps and scoring a little bit in his time at Michigan. But um, I'm excited about him. He looks pretty confident so far um, down in Providence from the looks of things. And um, I haven't watched the full games, but just clips I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy that's comfortable down there is recent signee Georgie Merkulov or Gasha Merkulov. Um, God, I hate hockey names. Two assist. Why? That's a cool name. That's a oh, it's a cool name, but just like me, who okay. can't pronounce names to begin with, like I would not have guessed it was Gosha, whatever you just said. Or like, Gorsha, no Gorsha. Or Gorsha, yeah. Or oh, okay. Gosha, 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 not Gorsha. Gotcha. Um, I'm mixing myself up now. Um, the freshman they signed out of Ohio State, 20 goal scorer this year in his freshman year at Ohio State, has two two assists and scores a shootout winner in his uh, AHL de- debut. Then he scores his first five on five goal um, in the AHL as well last night he's buzzing he's got some chemistry with chris chris wagner from the looks of things so that's pretty interesting um yeah georgie mccullough they're getting a really good return on their um on drives with free agents and last but not least um brandon Bussey, the right-handed catcher out of western michigan uh, who signed to play goalie in the ahl for the bruins um for the rest of this season wins his first two ahl starts ahl player of the week and uh, finishes the week with a 2-0 record, a .96 goals against average under one, and um, a 9.64 save percentage and a shutout. So pretty good week for prospects. I'd say uh, so. Good early return. Um, interesting, you know, the Bruins have a, um, a right-handed catcher in the system now, so maybe that's the, you know, that's the difference maker. That's the morale shift. Mm-hmm. Um, the Infinity Stones are all in the gauntlet. But – just not the same ending as Thanos, though. You no. Know? Um, spoiler alert. Um, for anyone who hasn't really seen that movie. It. That's really about it. Basically, okay. I'm looking forward to right now is that Panther team because I want to see that late season barometer. Um, it's a great measuring stick game, game, yeah. Hopefully with Hawks and hold back. Yeah. Back. That's um, a game you point, hope everyone's healthy for. Absolutely. At this point – Rest Poshnark for the rest of the regular season if you need to, and bring Lindholm back as soon as possible because I want him to establish some more chemistry before um, before the playoffs, but we'll see what happens there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about it for Bruins. We're kind of buzzing here. Uh, we're on a good pace. I think so. Debo Samuel requests a trade out of San Francisco per Jeff Darlington. Um, some additional information from um, – Ian Rappaport that came out after the announcement was the 49ers have been looking to make offers for a long-term deal with Debo Samuel, but he's been unwilling to engage. This is, um, this is why unclear where this goes from here, but Samuel is wanting Samuel wanting out is the latest um, in big name wide receiver drama. Money is not at the root of the issues for Debo Samuel. Otherwise, um, what could, uh, Jeez, I can't read. Twice <laughs> that could be fixed. Brain is breaking. Offer. Yeah, I, it's 420, dude. Um, there you go. But there are also issues with how he's used. I think every time I look back at the stream, I think people can tell with my eyes. But um, 
Or else I couldn't tell before. Your secret's definitely out now. Yeah. Well, I look pretty pie-eyed in the, okay. in the thing. Gotcha. I noticed a couple times. Um, Debo Saban, one of the best wide receivers, one of the definitely the best dual threat NFL offensive player, wants a trade out of San Francisco. Um, shocker, kind of, but like a little bit. I because we've been hearing things of a lot of these big name receivers that are looking for big money now, mm-hmm. potentially wanting out with AJ Brown taking Tennessee out of his Twitter bio, which is obviously going to fuel speculation. But now it seems like they're working out pretty good and the deal could get done soon. Mm-hmm. Um, Debo Samuel requests a trade. If I were to would have picked between the two, I would have said AJ Brown would be the guy to request a trade. But mm-hmm. um interessante, isn't it? I'd say so. I mean, absolutely sign me up hundred percent. He gives you a second chance to get this guy that you passed on the first time or missed on the first time. I saw um like the the Rappaport tweet said that money hasn't been the the problem, I can't remember where who the tweet was from. I think it was from like a verified source that said, I think he's more pissed off about how he's being used and how he wants to just like mainly be a like strict wide receiver and just run routes instead of, you know, being the gadget guy that, like you said, he's been that has made him as great as a receiver as he was last year. Like you said, burst onto the scene, his big, you know, breakout year. But I, you know, I'm not that surprised to hear that. I mean, there were times, especially in the playoffs last year, Granted, you know, with Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback, you're going to have some some hairy situations to get into. There were some times where he got killed out there. Like, he got lit up, destroyed, running the football, you know, going over the middle. Like, so him just want you know, go back to being a regular wide receiver, and that's, you know, where the problem is, is how he's being used. I 100% could see him getting a little aggravated by that. Yeah, that's weird that, you know, if that's the case, but it makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, at least guys out for longevity. Like, because, like, your ability in the backfield is increasing your payday. So true. Yeah. It's, it, it goes exactly. It goes, that's why it's such a weird situation. I feel like it goes both ways. Yeah. Like you could help yourself out by having, you know, more obviously positions under your title, however you want to word it. But like, then again, like I feel like Debo Samuel is looking out for like, I want to stay healthy. And like I said, not get, you know, try to run up the middle and get blindsided by somebody and get croaked on a play where I'm lining up as a running back. So like, I could definitely see both sides of the argument here. But that's like you said, which makes it so interesting is what uh, what direction does Debo Samuel want to go in? Yeah, it's crazy interesting because it's tough to imagine the Patriots doing it with what they've already done for Devontae Parker. Yeah, that's uh, yep. Do they want to give up the twenty first overall picks? They'll probably have to. I would. I would. I was thinking about this. I would give that pick up. I'm curious. Is there's been talks now, of course. I mean, with the pages, there always is about the the prospect of trading down in the drafts. Like, I wonder if maybe if this becomes more and more available for them, if they're more willing to trade down so they get more picks and then try to flip more picks to the 49ers to make their offer more enticing than maybe another team that's out there instead of just giving you know the 21st and some other stuff. Maybe you get like the 20 you get down to the 25th and or 26 somewhere, you know, down in the towards more towards the bottom, but you get extra, like, obviously you know how it works out. You get extra picks and stuff like that, depending on the trade. Maybe that makes the Patriots more enticing team for the Niners and Debo Samuel to work a trade for. I really just hope so just to make things right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I don't think it's going to happen, but no, I mean, Debo, Devonte Parker, Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne would be awesome. Hopefully Kendrick Bourne reaches out to him. Uh, we know Trent Brown is. I was going to say Trent Brown already another, did, I think, right? Yeah. Another former 49er, um, but they didn't play together. 
um, say said A at 19 problems with a Z. Very cool. Uh, <laughs> pull up the Foxborough, my G. Dot, dot, dot. It don't get that cold. Um, mm, I don't know about that. It does. That might have been, been a lie. Goofing. He's just goofing. Um, All right. Yeah, I don't know right. if Evo Samuel wants to be lied to. That might not be the best recruiting strategy. No, Devo knows the deal. Okay. Um, just really quick, just looking at the teams that are interested. I mean, I saw you had the tweet, obviously, talking about how deathly scared you are of the Chiefs getting involved. I thought I saw a report out there that they haven't made a serious offer, haven't really inquired. The team that scares me on that list is obviously the Jets. Like, we've heard it all that the Jets have been interested, and it seems like every receiver that's become available and have missed out on guys like Tyree Kill, they checked in on DK Metcalf and doesn't seem like they're going to go after him or that the Seahawks want to give him up. Like, this just... Like you said, maybe A.J. Brown sticks in Tennessee. If he goes, maybe the Jets become more involved in him. But, like, the fact that the Jets are checking in, doing their due diligence, like they should be with a young quarterback for a guy like Debo Samuel to have to compete against him now with the likes of Artie Hill and Waddle and obviously Stephon Diggs in Buffalo. Like, if the Jets add a, a top-tier receiver, then you're more in trouble than you already were to begin with. Yeah, if I'm talking to the Jets and I'm I'm uh... – the 49ers i'm trying to get pick 10 which yeah i mean that would that would be enticing too if you're the niners like but yeah like if the 49ers did debo and maybe had to add something to get pick 10 i would probably do that if i were them yeah i don't know why you wouldn't they don't pick till pick 61 um the four the uh dolphins i believe yeah the no the chiefs now uh that was a picture of tyree gilchrade have their pick so um yeah, I'm very worried about the Chiefs, though, uh, but the Jets are interesting because two firsts, two seconds. It's just some guy made a good point. Like, you know, if they traded Tyreek Hill for money reasons, why would they trade for Debo Samuel? That might hold I was back, just thinking the same thing. Maybe Debo just, like, gets the money he wants there and it works out. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it's a different situation because we don't know what's going on exactly behind the scenes with Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. Um and that, I imagine that trade would be have the um, extension pre-negotiated. So that would yep, you have to think, yeah. Um, yeah, the team I'm most worried about here is, you know, I'm, I tweeted, it's the more I've thought about it with time, um, I'm most worried about the Chiefs because it affects the Patriots as much, not because I think it's going to happen mm-hmm. um, as much. To me, it's the Jets and the Packers. Uh, the Packers are – you know, a similar situation to the Chiefs where they have multiple um, picks in each of the first two rounds. So uh, they need receiver help. So that'd be another case. I feel like that'd be weird, though. You'd trade away Devontae Adams. And maybe that was more so because he didn't want to be there than or yeah. couldn't, you know, work on an extension there. But then you bring in Debo and get him an yeah. extent. Maybe that's not maybe that's not like a more a money thing like you alluded to with the, the Chiefs and Ty- not wanting to or figure out an extension with Tyree Kill, rather. But this, team- I mean, the team, real quick, I expect to get involved is the Saints, with them having two mid-first-round picks now, and obviously wanting an awesome player. I do they have the cap space good. for an extension for him though? Oh, like I feel yeah. like that's I, so that's the one that thing that would hold the moment thing. But yeah, yeah. That, yeah, they've got above the cap now, but I don't know if hmm. it work. No, I mean, the one thing I was gonna say is, I mean, all the talk we've just did about the money, the draft compensation, everything, and then you mentioned it too with the Devonte Parker trade. Like this, just it's a deal that you and I and every Patriots fan on paper would say absolutely yes, you do this hundred percent. But in looking at it from a Bill Belichick and the Patriots standpoint, it's like there's just too many factors going against them bringing in this like a guy like this. They're not gonna 
trade the draft capital in the year where they probably need it. And they're not going to shell out a crap ton of money to extend him. Maybe they'll, you know, do something crazy and we'll, we'll see the complete opposite because they've surprised us before, obviously with what they did last off season. But like right now, this just does not seem like a, a move that they have any, maybe not desire to make. Cause I'm sure they're checking in on it, but like, it's a deal that just doesn't scream like, Oh, this is a, the, a prototypical Patriots move that they'll definitely jump in on, which is yeah, frustrating because I'd, be, I'd be more chomping at the bit if we didn't trade for Devontae. Parker. Exactly. Then, then yeah, there's a clear Devontae. still need. Yep. Yeah. But damn it. Now I'm going to hate Devonte Parker this season. Cause he's blocking things now. It's like, That'd be something, though. People get pissed at him before he even suits up as a Patriot. Right. Um, yeah, Dan, it does kind of suck, though, that we were, you know, we could have gotten Debo Samuel. Now we're going to hate on Devontae Parker. We missed like, on Debo Samuel again. Yep. Yeah, I know, right? Damn it. And then it's exactly, too, it makes it even worse if A.J. Brown somehow gets out of Tennessee. Like, history is repeating oh, itself in just a vicious circle. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Take two and you failed again. Like, it'd be like God. it'd be like the Bruins in 2015. You miss on all three. Um, yep, it's just a vicious circle of pain. Yeah. speaking of Devonte Parker, some interesting yeah. news with him this today that might rub some Patriots fans the wrong way if you care about jersey numbers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, he takes number 11 with the caption. Eyes emojis, skeptical face. <laughs> skeptical face. I don't face. give a damn if you like it or not. All right. That's one way to go about it. I think we know what he's talking about. Um, I don't have a problem with it, but people that no. are bored are going to. Um, yep. There's only two numbers that you shouldn't be giving out for the next couple of years, and that's 12 and 87. That's about it. Like, I like Julian Edelman, great player for the Patriots, but, like, if you had to, like, pick one of those three that you got to give up, yeah, like it's a common it's 11. receiver number. Like, like, exactly. The quarterback, the quarterback is not going to change his number. No. Um, I'm sure it's, there's no way Devontae Parker didn't, like, call up Julian Edelman and was like, hey, are you cool with this? Like, I'm sure that he's just playing this. Edelman's response that I'm sure you're going to get to in a second. Like, I'm sure this is all pre-planned. Like, they they know what they're doing. Like, he didn't just walk into New England and go, yeah, I'm taking 11. There's and Nobody's doing anything about it. Like, he definitely talked to Edelman beforehand and was like, hey, you cool with me? Doing this, if not, I'll change to whatever's available. But I'm sure Edelman, like, he's not going to care that much, I don't think. See, if they talked about that, Julian Edelman would probably tell him to say that. Um, but that's what I mean. It's like he's got a good enough sense of humor and is a, a cool enough guy, it seems like, where he's like, yeah, dude, go with it. go for it, whatever. I don't, some, my playing days are done. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Yeah, I agree. So speaking of trading, um, we got a few questions that we want to reconvene on. Mm-hmm. Um, before the drafts on next Wednesday um, or this upcoming Wednesday now. Um, will they just, you know, kind of like yes or no type of game, will they make the 21st pick? I'm saying yes. Probably, yes. So will they trade down? Um, no, in this case, but I wouldn't be surprised. Nope. Will they trade the 21st pick for Debo Samuel? I'm also going to say no. No. For all the reasons we mentioned, like, again, would love it if they did, but there's just too many factors that go against how the Patriots work. So I'm going to say no. Yeah, I agree. Um, What position will they target in the first round and or the first two rounds? If you want to give a picture for both rounds, I'm going, I'm going the smart route. 
because I'm trying to will it into existence, and I think it's possible corner and linebacker. That's what I'm thinking. I just think want, flipped. Think? Yeah. I, I think linebacker corner. I mean, they might try to target a receiver, but like I said, I mean, the, we talked about it. The, the Devontae Parker thing might change that that uh, that that thought, which I don't have a problem with. You know, go get a receiver maybe later in the draft, but mm. I don't know. It's definitely interesting. I mean, if they trade down, which again, you and I will th- don't think we're, we're, they're going to, but if they do, then maybe, you know, you could throw a receiver in there. If they get, you know, an extra first or an extra second from somewhere, then like then they could go linebacker corner receiver. But as of right now, I'm sticking with you. Just flipped linebacker corners. My, you know, round one, round two. And if it's not either of those, give me Zion Johnson. Cause he's a BC Eagle and he wears size 18 shoes and um, guys an animal. He's a beast. I want my boy Zion. We need some, uh, we need an Eagle on the uh, Patriots. And that's just a cool name. Yeah. And just you know, speaking of guards, if they were to draft a guard there, Kenyon Green, who can, you know, has played over, I think it's very versatile, right? Yep. At four different offensive line positions. So that just screams prototypical Patriot. Yeah. Not that I have a problem with it, but like their meat is with him. Oh my God. I can speak today. Um, I'm already in vacation mode. I'm going on vacation tomorrow. Um, Very nice. Stoned. So um, (laughs) happy 420. Yeah. First time participant. Um, All right. Recent getting into the edible game. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll, you know, like I said, we'll reconvene on these questions um, in a week. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if it's not the corner or linebacker, give me um, give me Zion Johnson um, or Kenny Green. Doesn't even matter. Um, if I were to pick, I'd love to end up with Andrew Booth Jr. and Quay Walker if he somehow fell that far. But I don't think he will. So maybe like Chad Muma if they need a linebacker or Nick Benito or, you know, whatever. But I was thinking Nick Benito when I think of him. Nick, ben- mm-hmm. Nick Benito and Nick Benito. Benito. They're cousins, maybe. Um, Who knows? Yeah. Some, I don't know if you read through this article, but Bill Barnwell did not. I'll pull it up. Um, for the drafts, you know, if each team were to make a trade, you throw some out there with their first-round draft picks. Um and we got a couple relating to the Patriots. Um, wouldn't be a fan of this one. Um, <laughs> Patriots get pick 39, a 2023 second, and a 2023 fifth, and pick 21 and a 2023 fourth. Um, no, I don't want to trade back that far. If we're gonna- no, I was just going to say that. If you're trading back, you got to stick with the first-round pick to some degree, whether that's like the 30th pick, 30 is just at the very end of the draft. You, you got to have a first-round pick this year. Unless you're trading for Debo Samuel, which we both agreed they're not doing that. doesn't seem like it. So if you're going to trade down, keep a first-round pick. Go get something else. Yeah, which is why the second scenario was better because yep. they would be trading um, pick 21, pick 85, and Akil Harry to the Green Bay Packers for pick uh, 28 and pick 59. I would do this without blinking. I would too. Sorry for the reaction. I just looked up quick at the Celtics game and I think Daniel Tice and Marcus Smart just ran into each other. Yeah. Yep. Ran right into each other trying to do a handoff. I missed and it. Both went down like they just got shot. I'm going to blame that on Tice because um, I'm fully on board with Marcus Smart oh, now. Wow. He bundled Smart. Yeah. Yep. And that was an offensive foul the other way. All right. Smart made up for the whatever that was at the offensive end. But yeah, to go back on that Patriots trade, I mean, anything that gets Nikhil Harry out of here, I don't care what it is. Like, that's, that's I'm fine with whatever that trade could be. They could trade him for like a 
some what was the the money ball trade from the movie they traded him for like some a vending machine or something in that movie or some change for the vending machine so can't remember exactly i haven't seen that movie in forever um but yeah just anything that gets to kill harry out of new england i am fine with like i said if you're going to trade a first round pick make sure you get one back um that trade works for me yeah that is like a perfect trade yep um, if they could do something similar to that or that um that would be awesome that must be like the coolest feeling if you like put like a hypothetical trades article out or something and one of them like for and then happens. hits it yeah That'd be like winning a winning the Powerball. Um, well, didn't that happen in the one of the NHL trades? I thought we you brought up as someone one of their analysts did for the trade deadline preview. There was a trade that was pretty close to being yeah the same. I what it was? But, yeah, I do remember um, vaguely something similar happening. Hmm. Hmm, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, the Celtics are only losing by five. So that's yeah, they cut it to two at one point and then kind of fell asleep at the wheel a little bit. But hopefully they can close the gap a little bit more not run into each other and look like a clown show out there mm. didn't even really pick up on that too much oh. um but yeah that's um that's gonna wrap it up for the show we came we uh <coughs> we turned to burn through this show mm-hmm. um, damn it i couldn't make a podcast without coughing <laughs> good it's the end of it <coughs> excuse me uh Allergy's still hitting a little bit. Not as bad as last week, though, as I fucked things up last <laughs> week. But it's the best week to fuck things up. True. Uh, because I was sneezing and sniffling a lot. Um, thank you for listening. You can watch us live. You're probably doing that, you know, in one way, potentially. Some of the listeners right now. Um, yeah, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us um, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Google Podcasts, a bunch of other ones you can check out online. You know, if, if it's a popular podcast platform and you look us up there, you'll be able to find us more often than not. Um, you can find us on TikTok, throw Savage and Credit into the search bar. Um, download the full press coverage app if you want to listen to us there as well. Um, just giving you all these options. Um, it's a, oh my God. Um, I'm Tom Stone. <laughs> um, i was gonna say i'm like what happened i looked down at my phone for next? a second what's next um I forgot the outro oh man i'm gonna be no help to you because i was fully in tune with the Celtics game so um i'm gonna go have thank the listeners one more time I'm and i'm gonna have some ice cream get on out of here yeah i'm gonna get on out of here regroup um, and try again next week Go Celtic. Wow, I just forgot the yeah. second half of the intro. That's crazy. Happy oh, the outro? Or outro. It's not the intro. We're not we're not <laughs> starting again. Happy this, 420. This is a disaster. I'm going on vacation. All right. Yep. I'll be here. <laughs> oh my god. Holy <laughs> fuck. Grant Williams got 15 points. We're not still live, are we? No, we're live. Oh, God. Grant Williams has 15 points in 4-4 shooting. He's been the savior tonight. What did I say? More bench points. Batman. Jason Tatum is not playing well. I've never seen What's Batman and me in the same room before. Right, I oh, guess I gotta... God, a horrible night for Tatum and Brown. I don't know how to end this. Um, I'm just going to end the Zoom call, I guess. All right. I think that's next week. 
All right. This is all staying in there. Oh, Um, Jesus. We'll talk to you in a week. Peace. See you later.